Hey, Liam back again from the Early Education Show with a quick intro to our second daily update from the 2016 Early Childhood Australia Conference. Our field reporter, Lisa Bryant, has trumped her efforts yesterday with three interviews. First up, she chats to Dr. Red Ruby Scarlett about her work on the third edition of the Anti-Bias Approach in Early Childhood, a must for every educator's bookshelf. Then we hear from Early Childhood Education Advocate Tonya Goddard, who will be delivering the Barbara Creaser Memorial Lecture at the conference on the unfinished business of the early childhood sector. Finally, we're very fortunate to spend some time with Sam Page, the CEO of Early Childhood Australia. Sam covers a lot of topics, including ECA's ongoing advocacy campaign, Early Learning, Everyone Benefits. I just wanted to say before we head over to hear from Red first that uh, these recordings were from quite a busy impact convention centre, so apologies in advance for any issues with the sound quality. at the moment with the most wonderful Red, Dr. Red Ruby Scarlett, who is launching a very important publication today. Can you tell us about it, Red? Well, today we're launching the Anti-Bias Approach in Early Childhood 3rd Edition, and it's a very, very, very special book. It's got an incredible history, which we'll um, yeah, talk a little bit about. If not, you can read about it in the book. Um, it's well documented. The book hasn't been published since 2001. And Elizabeth Dow, who was the original editor, along with Barb Creaser for the first edition, um, called me and said, this is outdated. It's so, so important that we're working with anti-bias ideas and inclusive practices. Um, we need a third edition. And so off we set to revive what was there and also to look around the country to see what other research had been done, um, what other practitioners have been working with anti-bias goals and principles in their practices, and people really, really committed to inclusion, so it's incredibly special. It's also very practical, so it's got ideas that will literally help people immediately start thinking about their practices differently, start reflecting on their practices differently, and, yeah, making, this, making the world beautiful for children. Is that too bold? <laughs> no, not at all. Um, sometimes I feel like uh, certain concepts or certain ideas take off or even uh, term terminology takes off in the early childhood sector and maybe it in itself excludes some people. Can you break down what the phrase anti-bias means? Good question. Okay. Anti-bias, I guess it's a... It's literally just saying, how do we stop biases? How do we work in ways that aren't biased? So confronting our own biases, asking ourselves questions about things that we may, may not even recognise that we might have biases towards, um, and anti obviously meaning not. So, yeah, we basically want a not-biased sector in order to, um, yeah, to create, a, you know, I guess learning environments that are inclusive because the crux of it is if you don't feel included... If you don't feel like your culture is something that's part of the integralness of society, there's a chance that you're not going to learn very well. So it is actually attached to things like literacy, which you can see in Leonie Arthur's beautiful chapter, um, and numeracy and all those things that governmentally we see as important that they get measured in children's learning. But what we forget is that identity has to come first. You've got to feel great about yourself. You've got to feel like you belong and then you'll be an amazing, a successful learner. So what are the main biases that are covered in the book? It kind of does the trajectory of, I guess, um, 
it, it, it's centred around identity, essentially. So we're looking at things like tackling racism, tackling homophobia, tackling transphobia, um, tackling sexism, which is a really, really important one, and it's just, you know, unfortunately so subtly weaved through uh, so many of our practices. But it also, we wanted to kind of... Um, up the ante, if you like, and so we included chapters like art and anti-bias to show how those everyday practices, um, you know, where, where, where the biases may lie and how we can work with them through practical means like the arts. And who do you think will most benefit from reading the book or engaging with the book? The book was originally designed to um, reach as many people as possible, and I know you can't always please everybody, but it really is kind of a collection of things. So there are pieces in there that would absolutely suit Certificate 3 and Diploma. There are also pieces in there that are playing with theory. So we tried to have the whole gamut in which, in, in a learning capacity or in your first entree into early childhood, that there was something that you could grab onto. And then as you keep diving into the book, if you fancy exploring some of the more um, theoretical concepts and how they work in practice, those things are also available. So we really tried to assess what had happened in early childhood over the last 15 years and try to make the book um, reflect what's gone on in the field. I know that the book's a bit of who's who of everyone in the early childhood sector and you've got more authors in there than any book should possibly <laughs> have. But, and I, I know that everyone will be offended if you miss their names, but can you tell us some of the people that you invited to write chapters or update chapters? Okay, so when I, when I set out to, um, to do the book, the, the process was that if anybody had written a chapter, they were invited to update their own chapter. So you'll find that many of the original authors, people like Anne Glover, who've been at the forefront of this, um, Chris Woodrow, uh, Leonie Arthur, um, Catherine Hyden has a chapter. That's a new chapter, actually. Um, who else is in there? Ooh, Leanne Gibbs, oh, Leanne I think, from Gibbs, the early, from the early education, education show. <laughs> saving her up for the big finale. Um, she's written a beautiful chapter. Fantastic advocate she is. Um, so it's a real, it's a, it's a mix. And the wonderful thing was when I invited people to write new chapters, the purview was that they needed to um, find a new person to write with, someone in the field, someone working in practice, so that there was always that educator's voice or the teacher's voice. Because that's really, really important in, as you said before, you know, what are these concepts, how do we break them down? Having the voices of teachers who are on the ground or active in um, movements like union movements was really, really important. So we had, you know first-hand stories. And talk to me a bit about the reflective questions that are scattered throughout the book. The, re the reflective questions are designed specifically for people to, like they're really good to take to a staff meeting, it's like a really practical resource in a way. Take the questions to a staff meeting and start discussing what are these questions asking me? How will I think differently if I ask these questions to myself? And what? how could we possibly design practice differently based on how these questions make us think and feel. So the reflective questions were designed for, I guess, as a, a practical part of the book. It's like the book is actually a resource as much as it is, um, you know, disseminating information and sharing great early childhood research. So they, they're designed to help you think differently. For example, you can sit down at a staff meeting with your team, have a look at the questions and say, what does this question make me think about myself? What does it make me think about the way we set up our learning environments? What does it make me think about in terms of what we write down or what we, how we view children? So you've written your own chapter in it as well as editing the whole thing. Tell us a bit about your chapter. Um, I Yes, I, I secretly love the chapters that I, I got to write in. 
the first one is the um, chapter two, which is the environments chapter. And I, I wrote that with the very beautiful Bushkinder Doug, as he's known, um, because we have this wonderful pedagogical relationship, I guess, where we're constantly talking about nature and culture. And given that, um, you know, his work to downsize resources and work outside in Bushkinder um, and the work that I'd done in my PhD and, um, and other sort of projects, we wanted to bring that together into a, into a discussion. And I guess the bit I love about that chapter the most is that it opens by saying, you know, it's really important to acknowledge country wherever you are. Um, and I think we think that you go somewhere to experience country, but we kind of felt that doesn't matter where you are, indoors, outdoors, you're always on Aboriginal land. And so how do we bring that acknowledgement, not just as a tokenistic way of expressing that we're on country, which is important. I shouldn't necessarily call it tokenistic, to express that we're on country, but also recognising that we live and work on country. So that's really exciting. The second chapter that I've worked on is Chapter 22 with Anthony Saman, and we've done a little, we called it disco balling, um, and we just wanted to give glimpses of um, the work of the social justice group. Given that, amazing pioneers like Betty Hobson and Tonya Goddard, leaders in our field, who've enabled us in so many ways, um, started that group, actually. And then, of course, over the last, I think, 16, 17 years now, um, you know, the groups of us have um, carried it on. And so we wanted to just give some, some reflections about, about that. And then a very special chapter um, written with... Um, the wonderful Professor Jane Osgood in London, who's a, a great supporter of um, teacher research and the social justice group and all of us here down under. She's actually a secret Aussie. Um, we wrote a chapter with the EYLF Pirates. And, um, yeah, that's one of the chapters that's exploring some theory. It's playful. Um, it's telling the story of the pirates and how they became the pirates and why they, um, what they could do as pirates. And, um, and, you know, why they went on the, the voyage that they did. And so it's quite fun. So I will just say now, I'm not a pirate. And I there's lots of scepticism around that, which is quite fun. And I, I actually don't know who they are. So I do have a secret group with them. The only place I can communicate with them is um, in the seas of Facebook. And it's really interesting writing a chapter with virtual friends. <laughs> Good on you. Okay, so how do people go about getting the book? The book is currently available on the Multiverse website. So it's www.multiverse.com.au slash antibias. And the, it's available online. It's, it's, um, we're trying to sell it as uh, inexpensively as possible because really our, our, um, our aim is distribution. We want to get this in every TAFE, in every university. We want every early childhood educator, teacher, manager, coordinator, PD person in the country to be engaging with it, um, using it, critiquing it, um, you know, all of that sort of stuff, generating a beautiful anti-bias movement. So, yeah, through the website at the moment. And the important thing, how much does it cost? It's $79.99, um, which is not 80 obviously. Oh, no, <laughs> way less, way Special, more cheaper. Yeah, yeah way cheaper. So, um, and I, yeah, we, we had it valued because of the content and because, as you said, there are a, a million and one authors in there, um, but it was more important to keep it, keep it inexpensive and keep it flowing. But also, you can opt to pay up to $150, which is where we've capped the recommended retail price. That money immediately goes into the beginnings of an anti-bias fund. So um, stay tuned for that. We're setting up a wonderful foundation to try to get some, to, some work going. As we said, we want to set this movement alight. We need you all on board. Um, and the, the, yeah, and so that's a, a nice way to be part of um, getting that going. 
Okay, so that's Lisa Bryant reporting from the Early Childhood Australia Conference with an interview with Dr Red Ruby Scarlett about the anti-bias book. You heard it here first, guys. Thank you. Bye. So I'm sitting here now with Tonya Goddard. Tonya is um, well known within the early childhood sector to many, especially those in New South Wales, as, and I personally think of her as one of the biggest advocates for early education. No, not big in that way, Tonya. I mean big as in one of the strongest advocates for early education and care in Australia. And she's done that for a number of years. But Tonya, you've got a special role at the ECA conference. What's that? Oh, sorry, should I in fact say Dr Goddard? (laughs) Thanks, Lisa. Um, Yes, I do have a special role. Um, There's a memorial lecture in honour of Barb Creaser who was a great advocate, worked for Early Childhood Australia um, in many roles over the years. Um, And so there's a memorial lecture and I'm the winner of that. I understand each um, state puts forward um, a person and I'm the winner, which is lovely when I'm retiring from the sector anyway. Um, And I knew Barb many years ago. So um, I think it's important to say it's the very end of the program. Um, So I I guess what I've tried to take an approach of... um, Barb was born in the same year that I was. So I think often we're not particularly respectful and acknowledge history and how we've got to the state we are today because of the efforts of many people over many years. So I wanted to use um, a number of areas where to celebrate <coughs> excuse me, what we've achieved, but then to look at what I've called unfinished business, so where we might go next. Sorry for that. And what is the early education care sector's unfinished business? I've picked about, I forget now, but something like seven or nine areas. So I think the first one I wanted to talk about was reconciliation um, because I grew up White Australia Policy Days and so, and we've got such a still a long way to go. But we have made progress and ECA now is being very active with a reconciliation reconciliation action plan. So that was the first one and Barb worked in the Northern Territory so that was the first one. Second one is valuing diversity and again I'm talking mainly about racial cultural diversity. Um, Basically when I was first teaching it was unknown. Now we really have all the values of a wonderful multicultural society. So we've made great progress in terms of who's working in the sector, with the children that are coming to the services, um, and our understanding in terms of um, the program. So again, there's more work to do, um, but I think we can celebrate achievements in that area. Um, I've then picked things that, and sort of no necessary logic to these, but even things like Um, remuneration and conditions of employment because I guess that would be one of my regrets having been a major employer that we're still so far behind so that it's not Oh you should have personally improved government funding to (laughs) enable you to pay your staff reasonable wages. What if we'd all gone out and strike and totally closed the thing down government would have had to come to the party so as long as you know, unless you can get a great movement, it's very difficult to move the whole situation in the current way the unions and things work. So I think I do that feel it'd be very hard in the sector with unionism so low, with the rates of penetration of the unions so low in the sector to 
get I, that happening. That's the problem. I, for that one, I can't see the way forward, except that it has to be about the status of the profession. And again, ECA's got a campaign going, because if society at large does not recognise the importance, and in fact does not see early childhood as important as other areas of education, then you're not going to get remuneration because you haven't got a social respect for it. So then other things happen, like in the quality system, you put in a waiver system that undoes quality because you can't, haven't got supply of staff. So one thing leads to another. So if you had masses of qualified staff coming out, no waiver system, or at least a waiver system with consequences, which we don't have at the moment. I also want to pay respect to what's been achieved around the quality improvement systems. Again, um, here they were reviewed, I can't remember how many years ago, we've seen nothing come out of that and I would be very worried if then suddenly they make changes based on stuff they gathered from the sector years ago. And apparently that's due to happen at the December um, uh, Education Minister's meeting. You know, yeah. They're actually looking at reviews to the National Quality Framework with a, maybe on the basis of the 2014 review. That's Which a long time ago. And when you think of how many more people have been through that and could inform that process, I think that's ridiculous, frankly. Yeah. Talking a little bit about, and everything's very brief, about funding and policy to acknowledgement without government funding and support for professional development except over the years, even things like policy about access that means we do have diverse populations, we should say thank you for that. But um, then we move on to the others. So we have Tonya, are you actually telling me that you don't think government funding for early education and care is good enough? I'm <laughs> shocked, shocked. <laughs> um, coming from a state like New South Wales where we miles behind that Australia seems to have no shame in when in OECD comparisons. It makes no difference um, that we're down the bottom of the scale for everything. So, you know, it's really disappointing. And then we have always been beholden, whether it's programs or what, we've inherited from overseas. We don't seem to have a great pride of There is own. a bit of cultural cringe in Australian <laughs> early education and care. There is. But even something like the 15 hours... What's the logic of 15 hours? It seems to have come from countries where there are half-day programs and that logically fits. It has no relationship to our programs. And what it's really about is sustained delivery for children over a period of time. Tonya, I agree with you sometimes about um, forgetting our history. Do you remember that meeting we were in after the 15 hours when the Department of Education and Employment showed us their evidence for why 15 hours, but it was all post-dated, the decision that they'd actually made to implement 15 hours? Well, to me, they never admitted where they got it from. Like at some, We inherit these programs and implement them without any logic, and now they're not, despite the sector telling them it doesn't work for all these reasons, um, we're stuck with it. So you see all this you know, manipulation of hours and crazy things when it should be about the children, the best interests of children. And we know that, you know, one day a week at the end of the year is not going to make a difference for vulnerable children. And what we do know, what research is quite clear about, is that two years' dose of early education is much better than one year. Absolutely. I can sort of accept that if you could get the one year up first, I would even accept that as long as they accepted that it's two years that make a difference. And you get rid of the jolly concept of 15 hours. It should have been 
the three days for children from disadvantage and two days for everybody else. But no one will backtrack on policy decisions like that. So, Of course. Tonya, I think we're going to have to leave it there because as 2,000 women come out of the conference to get their morning tea, the noise levels in the background are rising somewhat here. But congratulations on being accepted as winner and thank you, Tonya Goddard, for talking to the Early Education Show podcast. So I am here now with Sam Page, the CEO of Early Childhood Australia, reporting direct from Darwin. And Sam, we've just walked out of the actual conference so we can sit and look at some water and some sunshine. Mm. How important is that in a conference like this? <laughs> Very important. I think it always helps uh, to have a beautiful view and somewhere nice to sit. And I think a bit of heat is, uh, is, is helping, particularly for those of us from the southern regions of sure. Australia, where we've been a bit um, chilly lately. It's Especially nice in Canberra, you've had some terrible oh, we've weather. we've had a very cold weather. <laughs> cold and, w- and wet we've had. So Sam, yesterday I was really surprised when you asked how many people this was their first DCA conference. Yes, what I happened? was really surprised as well. Well, I, I think about half, if not more than half, uh, of the people in the auditorium put their hand up and I was very surprised at that. So do you think we're seeing the long daycare professional development funding I think that's some playing of it. out? I think that's some of it. And I also think that there's a tendency when you've been in a sector for a little while to feel like you know everybody, but you just know your people, yep. if you know what I mean. And I think we forget that there's generations of educators coming through that are coming for the first time and yeah. that there's different experience for them perhaps. And I think that's especially true when you look at the turnover in the long daycare sector. The, you know, yes. with new people coming in every few years. That's yeah, really true. that's right, yeah. And what do you think the success of the conference has been so far? Um, look, I think we had really good international talent. I think yep. that was the draw card. I'd have to I, I agree think, with you there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think really strong um, keynote speakers and Australian keynotes as well, good Good talent, you know, yeah. good people um, talking about topics that are that are contemporary and relevant. I think that's part of it. Um, I also, I mean, we were surprised about the numbers in Darwin because it is expensive to get here, and we thought that might be a barrier. But I actually think it's worked the other way. A lot of people have never been to the territory, never been to Darwin, so and they've so, used this as a, an excuse. Yeah, yeah this for has been sure. a real opportunity to come here. But I have to say. The, the quality of the concurrent workshops has been really strong as well. You know, yep. usually you hear a bit of grumbling, there are a few of them not so great, but not this, not this time. The, the, the strength has really been there, so that's been good. And just to, you know, because our um, podcast is mostly about policy and politics, mm. we've heard from a few politicians over the conference, you know, has anything anyone said surprised you so far? Um, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm amused at the Northern Territory Government's recruitment campaign that runs strongly <laughs> through every president presentation they do. They really want educators <laughs> from the south, so if you like hot weather, make it up here. It's absolutely right. They've been encouraging all of us to stay. They'll give us all a job. Um, no, that's been that's been really um, true. I think it's, it's good to see the strength of early childhood knowledge and expertise in the NT government, you know, yep. both in the department and in the minister herself, having yeah. a background in preschool teaching. So, And she actually said if she fails in politics, she'll go back to being a preschool yes, teacher. Yes, 
Yes, that's right. And I mean, that's terrific. That's where we do need that expertise. It brings, it changes the focus then yeah. um, in, in, in that. Um, we were really disappointed um, that Minister Birmingham um, from the federal government couldn't join us. He was going to, and, and uh, uh, we were looking forward to that. But uh, he can't control cabinet location so <laughs> we have to we have to just go with that but I'm really did pleased you that think, he did I thought that. it was fairly brave of him to constantly point out that the jobs for families package is for families working families mm. throughout his speech were you shocked at how much he was prepared to say that in front of educators who might perhaps see early childhood in a different perspective no I think I think he is genuinely seeing his different policy initiatives is quite separate. So I think he does see the childcare reform, the childcare subsidy reform as related to working families. And then I think he he is looking at preschool funding and other agreements as the education piece. And and I think what's what and I and I don't think we should be offended by that if you like if you know what I mean but I do think we need to keep working as advocates to try and bring that together and say actually these are not separate things you know that actually what's happening in long daycare is education and 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 needs to be seen as education and around child development so I think it's I I don't I don't think it's that he's um you know either deliberately or not deliberately wanting to offend people by seeming to separate those things but I think it's also appropriate that we continue to advocate to him that we think that the two things can happen together and actually it's not an either or that it's not that it wouldn't be about working families if we made it about child development that we can actually make it about both those things so one of um, ECA's biggest advocacy campaigns at the moment is everyone benefits can you Mm. tell me a bit about everyone benefits yes yeah, so Early Learning Everyone Benefits is our long-term campaign. We're well, long-term in the life of a campaign. I mean, we're looking at a three-year campaign. Uh, and the aim of it is really to try and shift public opinion and the perception of politicians around the importance of the early years and early childhood development in order to drive future investment in early learning that will give children better access. Now, I have, I've failed my 30-second elevator pitch really there. <laughs> that, was, that wasn't too bad. She just wants to change the world. That's right. It's a bit ambitious. It is ambitious. But what we hear a lot... Um, from politicians and economists and, you know, people in Treasury departments is that it's not what people... It's not where people want their money spent. It's not the priority for public policy, early education. Uh, And so what we need to do... And when we do... When we look at public... Um, surveys, they're very conflicted about early learning. They think childhood is important, but they think early learning is somehow... A bit uh, scary. Scary, that's right, and childcare isn't about early learning. They've got some really um, strange perceptions, you know, and they're conflicted about, oh, baby should be at home with mum, but... Um, yeah, always mum, never dad, never yeah, dad. That's right. that's right, I know, it's really frustrating. And so I, th- so I think what we've taken from that is if we're, going to, if we're going to improve participation for children, that's going to cost money, so we need to drive increased investment. It, the only way to drive increased investment is to make this a public priority and to raise awareness so that people aren't 
at least not objecting against it when we make arguments in favour. For sure. And how can educators get involved in the campaign? Oh, in so many ways. It's fantastic. So there's a newsletter they can sign up for. Uh, You can do that free on the website. Uh, There's a Facebook page you can sign up and follow and we'll send you stuff. And then it's really about educators engaging with the content. So there's an educator's toolkit uh, and there's resources for families that educators can take and talk to families about early learning. It's really about having that conversation so that families understand what's happening in the service. Because the more families that can advocate for early education and care, the bigger the voice is. Yes, that's right. That's right. And because we have, you know, one of the toughest things about our sector is that we lose our, you know, we lose a proportion of our families every year. But the value of that is that we're getting a new wave of families coming in and if we keep do it keep at this for a little while we still got those families as they move through the system you know so hopefully we can get everybody on the same page around you know this is important it does matter children should have access to services. Okay so if I asked you for a one-liner as to why early education and care is important what would you say as CEO of you know Early Childhood Australia? Oh, I think it's the single biggest investment we can make in our future prosperity. I think it's Oh, I like that one. <laughs> you know, and, and the most, the biggest benefit to that is children, who children making a more successful transition into school, uh, children staying with education, feeling conf- confident, lifelong learners. That's where the value is in the future. Yeah. Okay, the next conference is in Sydney in two mm. years' time. What, you know, if you hope that one policy change that might happen by the time we're in Sydney, what conversation don't you want to be happening? Look, I hope we've done something about the participation of three-year-olds in preschool by then. I think it's embarrassing how um, poor Australia compares to other countries. I mean, I had the benefit of going to Europe earlier in the year and they just don't even question three-year-old preschool. You know, everybody, everybody's so got you high mean rates children of should actually get preschool education for two, two years, years, not one? That's right, yeah. And what about 15 hours? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the, that's the thing. I think we've got to start talking about what's happening for children under three and really inc- the, the participation of three-year-olds just shouldn't, should be a no-brainer at all. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And yeah. how many people do you want to come to the Sydney conference? Oh, look, it's a real... It's it's a real um, mixed blessing. I mean, we want the conference to grow and be successful, but it also makes it harder to manage and um, make sure that everybody gets a good time. So, I don't. I, I think it would be good. It's it's just under two thousand at the moment. I think if we can keep it around two thousand, that that will be good. Uh, but we'll have better facilities in Sydney. One of the will the conference centre be built by then? It is. It's, <laughs> um, I'm assured that it's opening this year, and it'll be well and truly tried and tested by 2018. Sure. Uh, we're really committed to taking the conference around the country. Like we think one of the biggest values of it is that. It gives the opportunity for people in different states and territories to, to come um, and we want to keep doing that but it does, it, may, it creates difficulties in places like Darwin that aren't used to hosting events of this size yep. so we have to just keep weighing that up. Okay, well, thank you very much, Sam Page, for talking to the Early Education Show. Have you listened to the podcast I've at all? I've seen it and I've got it downloaded to listen to. I haven't had a chance okay. yet, but now this conference is nearly over. <laughs> You'll my, be able to do my it. My time will change. Yeah, okay, right. thank you very much for talking to us. Thank you. <laughs> a big thanks to Red. Tonya and Sam for their time today and as usual thanks to Lisa for working hard at the conference. I'll make sure I include links in the show notes to find out more about everyone she interviewed today. We'll be back tomorrow for our final report from ECA 
And in a bit of additional news, you can also find the show on Facebook now. Just head over to facebook.com forward slash early edu show and give us a like if you can. You can still find us on Twitter at early edu show. Until next time, goodbye. No, thanks. Look, beautiful. Oh. A tea. Sorry, a tea. Sorry. Thank, Thank you. you. Hi, Liam. Can you just edit the waitress, please? <laughs>